come from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. Everyone wants to make their home a beautiful and comfortable place. There's no shortage of information about how we can enhance our homes physically. But on today's podcast, we're going to talk about how we can enhance our homes spiritually, how we can make them a place of goodness and godliness, a place that inspires us every day of our lives. We'll take a look at Isaac's marriage to Rebecca in the book of Genesis, and I'll share what Jewish tradition reveals about the homes of the biblical matriarchs. We'll discover the secrets that transformed their homes into sacred spaces and how we can do the same with our own homes. The verse I want to focus on today tells us about Isaac's marriage to Rebecca, and it's in Genesis 24, 67. I'm going to read it to you now. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This verse tells us that Isaac married Rebekah and that he loved her. It also adds that Isaac's relationship with Rebekah was a source of comfort after losing his mother. Now, of course, no one can replace the loss of a loved one. We all know that personally. But it's not uncommon for people to feel some degree of comfort when they experience a new loving relationship, like a new spouse or a baby. So it's not surprising that scripture tells us that Isaac was comforted after his mother's death, once he married Rebecca. But according to Jewish tradition, Isaac was comforted by more than the loving relationship that he had with his new wife. When Rebecca came into Isaac's home, a part of Sarah returned along with her too. The rabbis taught that while Sarah was alive, there were three consistent miracles inside of her home. The first miracle was that the candles that Sarah lit each Friday evening before the Sabbath, before the Shabbat began, burned all week long until it was time to light the Shabbat candles once again. The second miracle was that there was a blessing in Sarah's dough. The way to understand this is that the bread that Sarah baked remained fresh all week long, just like the showbread that existed in the temple times. It never became stale or moldy. And remember, Sarah definitely didn't use preservatives. And the third miracle was that God's cloud of glory, the Ananeha Kavod, always rested above her tent. Isaac grew up with these miracles in his home. But when his mother's soul left the world, the miracles were gone too. We can only imagine how he felt Sarah's absence in such a profound way every single day. But when Isaac married Rebecca, all three miracles returned to Isaac's home. Now, these weren't just random miracles that God chose to bless both Sarah and Rebecca with. They were very symbolic. The rabbis explained that the miracles in their homes reflected the holiness and character of the women who lived inside of them. 
the candlelight that lasted all week long represented the warmth and the insight that both women offered to everyone. Their homes were a place of love and light. The bread that never got stale reflected the fresh enthusiasm that both women brought to their service of God each and every day. And the clouds of glory, they symbolized God's constant presence in the matriarch's homes. They spoke about him, God, prayed to him, and ran their home according to his ways. While we don't have these kinds of miracles in our homes and households today, they definitely still serve as a paradigm for the homes that we can and should create. A house that is meant to be much, much more than the four walls and the roof over our head. Our homes can, even today, without these miracles, become a place of holiness, a place of love and light, of service to God, and the place where we can feel the presence of God, as can everyone who lives in our home and visits it. And as people of faith, we shouldn't settle for anything less. I recently read an article about how the COVID pandemic forced people to stay home much more than usual, and the positive and negative results that being home so much has had on people's health. Everyone experienced this reality different, both mentally and physically. But researchers found that many people put a lot of effort into improving their homes during this time their physical homes, into do-it-yourself projects, home furnishings, and relationships with the people we live with. Everyone wants a home that looks good and that feels good to be in. Home should be a place where we feel safe and protected, where we feel welcomed and loved. But the best homes are the ones where God is present where the values of the Bible are upheld and where we are inspired to be the best versions of ourselves. You know those homes where you just walk in the door and you feel it. You feel the holiness in the presence of God and you just want to be there. According to Jewish tradition, now that the Holy Temple in Jerusalem no longer stands, we are called to turn our homes into many temples into many sanctuaries, into places where we serve God like the priests once did and become a source of blessings for the entire world, a place where God wants to dwell. As people of faith, we all strive to create homes that overflow with love and light, with goodness, with godliness. But if you're like me, you've probably discovered that it's very much easier said than done. Can we really make our homes like the homes of Sarah and Rebecca? How can we make our homes holy? I want to tell you about three ritual objects that Jews have in their houses and connect us to the homes of Sarah and Rebecca. These objects elevate our homes, and most importantly, they elevate the people in each home. I know they have for me and for my family. But before I talk about these three objects, I want to make it clear that this isn't about the objects themselves, like any ritual or ritual object. They are only as meaningful as the intentions that we put into them. These objects are tools, and if used correctly and intently, 
They can transform who we are and the places where we live. This is the point of having holy symbolism and objects all over our houses. The first ritual object that I want to tell you about, which you might have seen in people's houses, is called a tzedakah box. Tzedakah is the Hebrew word for charity, and a tzedakah box is a charity box, a container to hold money set aside for charity. Tzedakah boxes have existed in places of worship since temple times. For hundreds of years, they were a staple in synagogues as a way to collect money for communal purposes. But around the end of the 18th century, tzedakah boxes made their way into Jewish homes. Today, just about every Jewish house has at least one tzedakah box. They're usually placed in prominent locations, like in the kitchen of the house or in other spaces where they are most likely to be used. Family members can deposit a few coins, anyone can, on a daily or weekly basis. And then when the box is filled, the money is given, you guessed it, to charity. There are all kinds of tzedakah boxes. They can be ornate objects created by an artist or homemade containers made by kids in school. In my home, we have both kinds, and I always keep at least one of them next to my Shabbat candlestick so that my kids and I can give charity just before I light my Sabbath candles, and another box I always keep outside of their rooms so that they can get in the habit when they go in and out of their rooms to simply do a good deed and give some staka. The point of a tzedakah box is to encourage giving, not just a few times a year, but on a continual basis, even giving a few pennies or a dollar. It's the point of getting used to being generous so that generosity is second nature to us. When a tzedakah box is inside a house, it transforms the people into givers and the home into a place of giving. Like Sarah and Rebecca's candles that constantly served as a source of warmth and light, our tzedakah boxes bring warmth and light to our homes by making them a place of kindness, love, and caring, and thinking about those who are less fortunate than ourselves. I once heard a story about a rabbi who went to a housewarming party hosted by a young couple from his congregation. The couple renovated a beautiful home in Boston, and the result was magnificent. They showed their house to their guests, and everyone was extremely impressed. At one point, the couple shared that they had hired an expensive interior decorator, but that it had been worth every single penny. They proudly told their guests, now this is interior decorating. A few minutes later, an elderly lady approached the rabbi. She was the mother of the hostess and lived with her daughter and son-in-law. She asked the rabbi if he wanted to see her room. The rabbi agreed, figuring it would make her happy. When she opened the door to her room, she didn't point out the expensive furnishings. Instead, she pointed to the windowsill, where she had half a dozen tzedakah boxes for various causes. She turned to the rabbi and said, Now this is interior decorating. There is a deep truth to what that woman said. When it comes to creating a beautiful home, even the most expensive furnishings cannot compete with an atmosphere of love and kindness. Given the choice between a home filled with beautiful things or a home filled with love, 
I think we'd all choose the latter. Nothing is as beautiful as a home that is filled with loving kindness. Now, this may not be the first time you've heard about a tzedakah box, but I'm pretty sure that you've never heard about the next object that I'm about to tell you about. It's called a natlan in Hebrew, and it's a large cup with two handles that's used for ritual hand washing. In the Jewish tradition, one of the first things that we do when we wake up in the morning is wash our hands using this special cup. We use the cup to pour water over our hands several times, alternating between each hand. The biblical source for this practice comes from Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 to 21, where God directs the priests of Israel to wash their hands ritually before serving him in the temple. The rabbis taught that when we wake up in the morning, we are like the priests in the temple about to serve God. So, like the priests, we wash our hands ritually with a special vessel in order to prepare ourselves for our own daily service. This practice reminds us that each day brings new opportunities to serve God. Each day brings new purpose and meaning to our lives. It's easy to get caught up in our daily routines, for the days to run into each other and to feel that one day is no different than another. Believe me, I know. We wash dishes, again. We go to work, again. We make dinner, again. Do the laundry, again, and again, and again. Life can easily become stale, feeling repetitive and boring. But washing our hands in the morning reminds us that this day is a new day and that we have a new purpose to fulfill. It reminds us to bring fresh enthusiasm to each day and remember that our service of God, in whatever form it takes, is holy work. This is a unique opportunity to serve Him and grow closer to Him. One of the blessings in the homes of Sarah and Rebecca was that the bread that they baked was always fresh because Sarah and Rebecca always served God with fresh enthusiasm. When I used the natlan, this special washing cup, to wash my hands in the morning, I try to connect to Sarah and Rebecca and to begin each day inspired to serve God. I remember that even the housework is holy work and that each day is a gift something I never had before and never will have again. And when I feel inspired and excited about my day, the energy of my house is different. It's not stale. It's not repetitive. It's exciting and holy. And you know what? My family definitely feels it too. The third and final ritual item that I want to tell you about is called a mezuzah. And it can be found on the doorpost of every Jewish home. So what is a mezuzah? A mezuzah is a rolled up piece of parchment with the words of the Shema prayer from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 11, handwritten on it. The Shema prayer begins, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and declares our faith in God. The word mezuzah literally means doorpost, and mezuzah scrolls are placed on every doorpost of our homes. Can you think of another place in the Bible where the nation of Israel declared their faith in God by placing something on their doorposts? 
That's right. As you might have guessed, this practice has its roots directly in the Bible, in the blood that the ancient Israelites placed on their doorposts during the final plague in Egypt, the killing of the firstborn. The blood on the doorposts declared their faith in God and protected them from the plague. But the actual source for having a mezuzah on our doorposts is from the Shema prayer itself. The passages in Deuteronomy tell us to love God and to follow his commandments. In chapter 6, verse 9, we read, Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This directive has been fulfilled for thousands of years, and even today, if you look at the doorposts of ancient homes in Israel or towns anywhere in the world where Jews once lived, you can find indentations on the doorposts of their homes, evidence that a mezuzah was once there and that Jews once lived there. Usually, a mezuzah scroll is placed inside a specially made container. They range from simple plastic containers to beautiful silver enclosures. The most important thing, though, is not the outside, but it's on the inside is that the container protects the scroll inside of it. The mezuzah represents God's presence in our homes, a lot like the clouds of glory that rested on Sarah and Rebecca's homes. For this reason, a mezuzah is considered something that is protective. In fact, the back of each mezuzah scroll contains one of the names of God, Shaddai. This name is also an acronym for the phrase Shomer Delatot Yisrael, which means the guardian of Israel's doors. It's a reminder that God protects our homes. But that's not the only purpose of the mezuzah. It's also a constant reminder that God's presence can be inside our homes if we let him in. Every time we pass a mezuzah, we touch it and kiss it. In this way, we express our love for God and our acknowledgement that he is in our homes as long as we let him in. By kissing the mezuzah, we are inviting him into our hearts and into our homes. That's what the mezuzah does. It reminds us that our houses can be a place where God resides. That our homes are so much more than a place to care for our physical needs, they are a place of godliness, where we can grow spiritually and serve as a source of blessing to anyone who walks through our doors. So there you have it. Three ritual objects that Jewish people have embraced for centuries in order to elevate our homes and make them holy. I hope that you found this interesting, but more importantly, that you are inspired to find ways to elevate your own home. We spend at least half of our lives at home, and so do our children. The more we can make them a place of God, the more we will experience his presence in our lives. In Exodus 25.8, God says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. This week, take some time to think about how you can enhance your home, making it a place where God dwells. Maybe you can print out and hang your favorite scripture, or maybe you can create some artwork that uplifts you spiritually. You might consider making a simple charity box on your own, or maybe with your children or grandchildren. 
Or maybe you can make your own morning ritual, one that puts you in the right frame of mind for serving God in your home throughout your day. Let me know if you try any of these out and which ideas worked for you. What do you find inspiring? What helps you bring life and inspiration to your home? Share with me how you already make your home into a sanctuary. I'd love to hear about it. Whatever you do to enhance and uplift your home, I hope that you feel God's presence in your home, that you connect to the homes of Sarah and Rebecca, and that you draw their blessings into your home. Shavuot Tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week from here in Israel. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.